Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. It's one of the things I fell in love with with comedy was like these people, these brilliant human beings take the world, look at it, and then just shoot it back at us. And it's from a different perspective every time I hear it. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Today we have a comedian on who I am really excited to talk to. Uh, She has a great new special, The Floor is Lava, on Amazon. She is Gina Brion. Gina Brion. Gina Brion. Enjoy. I'm sorry, I had to eat an ice cream sandwich because I'm like exhausted, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm hot. These are all um, understandable things and nobody's mad about an ice cream sandwich. It's so, it's like, that's, this is like, you know, it's like, there's no rules. No, there's no rules right now. There's no rules. There's no rules. I'm not, I don't care what um, the patriarchy thinks. No, especially not now. No, (laughs) no, especially not now. (laughs) The patriarchy is not going to tell me what I can eat um, or how I can look or how I can feel or what I can do with my body. Nobody's going to tell me. Nobody's going to tell me um, what's right and what's wrong. And so I'm just going to eat ice cream sandwiches for lunch. This is this is what I think is right. Yeah, I I support your I support your uh, feelings on that. One (laughs) hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. Um, I'm so glad. How are you doing? How are you doing in this um, in this new time, this new life? Uh, I'm doing good. Honestly, I think uh, I've used the time to reflect a lot in terms of pandemic wise. And then in terms of revolution, there's been a fire lit under me in that way where it's it's been an interesting time. So I've just kind of taken it all in with a blank canvas as much as I can and just kind of figuring out how I can help with the revolution and help with everything, and also how I can last through a pandemic without strangling my husband and (laughs) making sure that I stay sane during the pandemic without, you know, losing my mind. Meditation has helped so much. Oh, that's what I've been doing that too. I've been, um, actually, it helped me to restart a meditation practice which I've been pretty uh lax about over the last few years but it it's actually helped me really like plug back in because that's really helpful yeah. you know um just, keep just keeps me you sane and centered yeah 
that really helps. So that's, that's really made a difference. And then, um, because I feel like comedy and doing shows is a kind of meditation unto itself. Yes, that's so true. It's our therapy. It's our meditation. It's, it's how we get through things. So that's been the the hardest part about the quarantine is Mm -hmm. not having that outlet. That's that's how many shows a, um, a night do you usually do? Man in New York. I mean, I wish I could say I limited myself to the weekends, but I don't because I'm such a stage whore, like every other comic. Like I just, I have to get my stuff out there. I have to get on stage. So on the weekends, um, I'm doing four to five shows a night if I can booked around the city. And then during the week, as many as I can grab, you know, one to two shows. uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's why you're so funny. That's why you're so great because it's like, the um you can tell that's why it makes you so amazing because you just do it so much that's um the key thing of like when you're on stage as often as you are it sets you apart you know i think that there's certain things about comedian you can tell comedians from new york are always different you know because there's just so much better we're so <laughs> obsessed with work so like good. i w- we are so obsessed with work but mm-hmm. it, i mean it just becomes a thing in new york too i feel like Everything in LA is so spaced out. So like in New York, if I want to do five or six shows a night at different places, I can because I can just walk to the next place. I can Mm -hmm. or take the subway one stop. Like it's so much easier to get around to different spots in LA. I mean, in New York than LA, because when I went to LA and I would do um, shows, like if I was doing a show at Comedy and Magic and I had to do a show at the Improv after, it was Mm -hmm. like wow, okay, I have to really time this out and see yeah. if I'm going to make that spot. Yeah. But the comics are funnier in New York because the cities, the cities are funnier. The, New York is a funnier city to live in. It's, <laughs> it's a funnier it's place a, to live in. You know what it is? In. Somebody described it to me once as like, you're performing for people in New York. You're performing for people that could have gone to see The Lion King, but they couldn't get tickets to that. So now they came to see you. So you you have to prove <laughs> that they made a wise choice. <laughs> so the pressure is there, you know. Also, like people in New York have seen it all. Yes, they have seen everything. There's a million things to do day, there. Yeah. yeah, they've seen everything. They've seen it that day. They have seen so much. They're sick of it, and oh, yeah. you really have to grab the everything in their you know peripheral vision it's like you're fighting for so much space in the city and then you're fighting for so much space in their head yeah and then so many people are are comedy savvy now like so many people have had the same obsession whereas i started when i was obsessed with i mean i've always been a student of comedy always obsessive about comedy watched as many comedians as i could and like now there are so many people that are obsessed with the world of comedy that are just fans that when they come out to a show you can't just throw any bs at them they've seen so much comedy and they're so comedy literate yeah that it it amazes me especially when there are clubs that they purposely seek out like the comedy store out in la like the cellar Mm -hmm. out in new york like yeah they'll come to those places specifically because they know they're havens for like really strong comics. Mm-hmm. It's a sophistication that is really, I appreciate, you know, it's like the people that really love it. And that's what you, you know, you go back and you do it for are the people who know what they're seeing. 
and then you want to elevate the art form for them. It's not like comedy used to be, I guess, back in the 80s where people would go to comedy clubs and they didn't care who they were seeing. They were just going to laugh. It's not the same. You know, it's definitely not the same. It's a real art form. People listen to everybody's podcasts. People uh, check everybody's socials. Everything now makes a comedian even more accessible, too. Yeah. And that's really cool. I think it's really um, I mean, it's really changed it. But, you know, it's like there's still relatively few women considering. I hear that all the time from audiences like, oh, thank God they had a woman come through like, oh, I haven't seen a female comic in X amount of years. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what I hear from audience members of like, you know, there's some of the idiots that are like, you know, I never think women are funny, but I like you. And I'm like, oh, that's so stupid. (laughs) thank you and i want to strangle you (laughs) which is so stupid but i mean but especially in those spaces like the comedy store and the cellar for some reason the only women that i see are um you although i'd never seen you in person there because i don't really go to the store i don't think i've been to the cellar in a long time but yeah i'm into the store lately the only women i've seen in the store uh, personally, I guess would be like Ali Wong or like um, yeah. the uh, women that they put through there would be like, oh, like Whitney or like uh, oh yeah. Eliza. Yeah, they don't have that many women. I mean, it's like it's still very much like a boys club, like mostly boys um, there. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's still you get weird. that question a lot that I get in interviews where they're like, why do you think? The business is male dominated. I think because the the um the the structure of the business is not nurturing towards women because we're all working. You know the the men in comedy really um, nurture each other. You know, like whenever a guy comes off stage, a new guy, there's a bunch of guys there to go, oh, that was funny. You know what you should do with that bit? You should do this and that. And then they like nurture each other. They father each other. So that they have a very supportive network. Whereas there's women, when a woman, a new woman comes off stage, there's nobody there to congratulate her and go, hey, that was great. Because yeah. she's off to do the, the next show. Women have to sort of like kind of nurture themselves because they have to go off and do the next show. And we have to be strong enough to do the next show. That's why most of the women who are successful in comedy are lesbians because they're women who don't care what guys think. Either they're lesbians or they are already partnered. And because yeah. um, they don't care what guys think when you're they, partnered up, you're not worried about the perception of you. I think yeah. when you're single, you're so worried about, well, oh, that guy's cute. I hope he thinks I'm funny. I hope he thinks I'm this. And, yeah. But when you're partnered up, you're just like, oh, no, I have my own thing going on. I'm good. Yeah. You're like already kind of on to the next thing or um, or whatever. Like it's, it's kind of it's a weird thing. Um it, I mean, I don't mean to generalize, but that's sort of what ends up happening is that if you're kind of, if you're straight, then you end up getting either sidetracked or you kind of get this weird feeling of, oh, I'm worried about how I look in this situation. I'm going to not shine as brightly yeah. to not outshine this straight guy who's possibly in this arena or something. Yeah. Well, I think you, you get so used to quieting your voice that when you're single and in a system like this, in a business like this, and you're out there, either what, something has to suffer. 
either you get sidetracked or your social life suffers. It's either or one of one of them has to suffer, unfortunately. Right. And if you're um, too pretty, that can be a problem. If you're not pretty enough, that's a problem. It's like all aspects of your life can be a problem or not. And it's it's kind of it's a weird thing. So uh, I think women have it tough just because um, we don't nurture uh, each other because there's not enough of us. So it's a self-created problem that keeps being um, created because there's not enough of us. There's not enough of a nurturing environment. And so we have to sort of nurture ourselves. Um, So there's a lot of issues, but I think that it's got to change. Um, I always try to encourage women to do comedy and I try to make sure that um, I encourage comics when I can, you know, it's just, it's just tough. I mean, I think it's just male dominated because entertainment is male dominated. I think most industries are male dominated. If you like break it down, Um, comedy is just because male voices are dominating and men just talk loud and they're fucking (laughs) annoying. (laughs) <laughs> they've they've been so loud for so long. Just <laughs> tell been... them to shut up. <laughs> just, just, just shush, shush, quiet but down. Women for a have few to minutes. be so funny to get a a word in edgewise. You have to be so exceptional oh. to even create any kind of a uh, buzz anywhere. You that know? is so true. I remember a comic in New York. Um, I mean, he passed years ago, but Todd Lynn. He told me. When I was passed at one of the first clubs I was passed at in New York, he said, you know, you are a Latin female comic. He's like, you have to be funnier, not only than any other man that any man that touches that stage, but then anybody that touches that stage for the industry to care about you. You will not be looked at. Exactly. For those reasons. And he was right. Like, I I hate to say it, but he was absolutely right. If I didn't impress the booker right off the bat, I was never booked again. There was no margin for error as a female comic. There was none. Ever. Yeah. Ever. But that also works in your favor because it just, you're just striving to be better. So You push yourself. You just push, it just, all it does is that it makes you excellent, which I think is... It's all to your benefit, which, uh, you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's like all the things that um, we think are against us really just work to our benefit. So it, it, it is like, it's kind of like it can be looked at as something that brings us down or that makes us rise, which is good. That is so true because you can turn, uh, I was reading, I have this great audio book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it was suggested mm-hmm. by Adam Ferrara, whom I love to pieces, uh, oh, a yeah, great yeah. friend of mine. And he suggested the book. And it's it literally is what the title says. It's turning all those obstacles that you see into a way or a path to success. You have two ways you can look at something as something that can stop you from living your dream or doing what you need to do. Or you can look at something and go, all right, maybe I need to change course. And this is not a bad thing. It just is mm-hmm. forcing me to change course. And I think when you talk about how women are treated in the industry for a lot of women that stick with it and push through it. It's like, okay, I just have to change course. I can't concentrate on how you're talking to me or how you're treating me. I need to change course and just get to where I need to get. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like maybe the things that we are looking at as limitations are really the things that make us really strong and really are going to be the things that make us really successful. And that's what makes us great, which is really good. And I think that's really good. It's really a good reminder. And I mean, so I, I mean, maybe that's also like in a, in a larger sense, maybe this pandemic is the one thing that we needed to look at racism in -hmm. this country and to really get past the idea of how do we end um, systemic racism? How do we actually end this cycle? And how do we actually look to repairing and ending the cycle of racism against black people and then repairing this racism against all of us, you know, like yes. this myth of our nation not being a racist country, which yeah. we oh, are the, so. The foundation racist. for our education going to school in, in the States is built on so many myths and on so many things that like, you know, if you've ever um, watched any Jane Elliott videos where she talks about Christopher Columbus and how we still preach about Christopher Columbus discovering America. And we're like, that's actually not how it worked out. Um, mm-hmm. And nobody has corrected that. Yeah. Nobody has corrected that in curriculum. Mm-hmm. So it's the same lessons over and over. That's the biggest issue is that we're not even told the truth about the history right. of where we are. Mm-hmm. And we're still um, celebrating these old holidays and we're still hanging on to these old ideas and teaching them and reinforcing them. And, and um, you know, it's like when we actually can stop society and pause it, we can relearn. And that's kind of like the whole point of like this year. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we've actually been able to do. So it's pretty crazy. Like I didn't realize that was happening. I mean, I, I you kind of like, Nobody knew that that's what was happening. But that's why voices need to be heard. And the more inspiring voices we hear and the more education we receive and the more we self-educate, the better Mm -hmm. off we all are to reaching a point of full-on acceptance and movement and being able to ourselves, each individual, doing something to help in the movement. Yeah, it's good. It's good. How do you feel like what what do you what do you think you're going to do when we go back to doing shows? How do you feel like you can approach this with comedy? Like I'm kind of trying to figure it out myself. Like Yeah. Like I always think with situations like this it's it's about getting to the truth mm-hmm. of what's what what this all is and finding the irony in how other people are attacking the truth. Like protesters have hilarious signs and it's like, you'd read some of these signs and they make me laugh, but it's because of the irony that they're talking about in these signs. Like one sign I saw was like, okay, so you're going to use police brutality at a protest against police brutality. Like you're <laughs> yeah. looking at it and you're just like, the ridiculousness yeah, of the response so great. Yeah. is where a lot of the funny, I think, lies. I know. It's really funny. It's really like, it's really ridiculous, but it's really sad too. It's like really, it's amazing like that you could still have humor in um, those situations, those really dire situations. Um, That's true. That's like a really, that I mean, that that's a good example. I think, yeah, that irony is a really good place to look and where... Um, where it is, it's like the enormity of the situation 
in the the smallest point like you can as small as you can make a big situation that's the yeah. best place yeah. to start it's trying I agree to figure completely. that out yeah, yeah. like how I do we completely. encapsulate it the make it's make hard. it as it's, small as possible it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about for so many reasons you know cuz there is so much pain behind it but also i believe like for me growing up comedy was part of my healing so because mm-hmm. I look at comedy as so healing, it's like, no, they're going to need us. They're going to need comics right. to talk so about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ah. I think so, too. I think it's really important because it's like comedy is where you make sense of it. And comedy is like where I think that like that that's where we find our place there. Like comedy diffuses a lot of the anger in it. And it also makes it less scary. Like it makes it more of a a sense of like, okay, well, now I can think about this in a way that is um, human or um it's 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 like non intimidating. Like I was I was gonna I, I submitted this video to be a part of this essential worker um, comedy uh, thing, and then it got rejected because they said it was racist. And I thought it was funny, but it was about my mom saying about how like the the <laughs> the zoos were having all these problems, and they because nobody was going, and so there was like they were had they had no money, so they they had to feed um, some animals to other animals, <laughs> and so. My mom was like, oh, that, that makes me so hungry. What time is the zoo open? <laughs> I'm sick of eating pasta. And then, oh, there's racist. That's, that's why we have coronavirus, because the animal eating. And it, don't say that's racist. So it, it's all, and they, they, and they rejected it. it. They oh. were rejected it because they're, and I was like, no, this is not racist because your doctor going to be Asian. So don't say that Asian eat any food, bad eating. Don't eat. But it was like all about how, how like, I was like, you have to address Asians eating bats because yeah. it's not, it's not racist if you're, if an Asian person is talking about it. That's what I'm saying. How can it be racist if you're not, talking about it from the perspective of your race? Like you yeah, telling you not to tell, tell. If it's yeah. an Asian person telling you not to talk about Asian people being racist, talking about it's really so meta that it can't really yes. be racist. But they were just so afraid of talking about it, and it was it was an example of white silencing around a person of color trying to talk about racism. So it was like that kind of, that that's another kind of racism that's really. Uh, kind of pointed because that's the kind of racism that I experience mostly is white silence around uncomfortable conversations around yeah, race. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not out and out racism that I experience. What I experience more is uh, white entities like networks saying, mm, that's not going to fly because that doesn't pass our standards and practices. You know, that's, that's not going to pass 
S&P. That's not going to pass. Sensors, that's not going to pass. Those are the gatekeepers that I have trouble getting across because the, um, the uncomfortableness of race to them, it is, it's because it's not um, something as uh, pointed as like, um, this is not as black and white as black and white. Yeah. It's hard for them to understand what this is. And so I feel like nowadays, you know, maybe these racial conversations might be a little bit easier to have if we can I talk really about hope so. comedy. Yeah. I really comedy. hope so. Cause I think what my hope is too, that with as much as is going on right now, when we get back to performing, it will lessen the, you know, fear and the cancel culture of comics being essentially silenced because it's like mm-hmm. our job is to observe the world and comment on it. Like that's what we do. We observe and then we hold up a mirror and show you all how ridiculous this all is. And if yeah. you silence us constantly because yeah. of some sensitivity epidemic, then you're not allowing us to heal or yourself to heal. Like you right. have to let us talk about it. Right. Right. Talking about it is really important. And I think cancel culture is kind of like there is a, a sense of I understand it and I think that there is a point to it. Like I get it because we want um, a place to experience outrage or voice outrage. And it's like they're trying to test their voice. They're trying to test the volume yeah. of like, okay, we're trying to see if we can be heard. They're trying to like understand the parameters of finally being visible. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't do anybody any good when it's just like automatic yeah. all the time. Yeah, you know, well, that that's exactly absolute- what I'm talking about. There are people that, and situations where it's honestly been merited, where I've looked at it and I've been like, oh, no, that was merited. I understand oh, why yeah. that happened. Oh, totally. And there are people yeah. that are, it, like, on purpose are divisive and say stuff to get that reaction. Like, I've noticed yeah. there are, there's been an uprising of comics who are purposefully divisive. Oh, yeah, yeah. And th- that's their thing, and that's, that's great. Fine. And that works for them. But then (laughs) it is about accepting the consequences then of like, if you're purposefully divisive, when the cancel culture comes for you, be prepared. Yeah. I mean, but it's also kind of like, why would you, if you're purposefully that, then it's kind of like, it's got to have merit. You know, like I could, I could say like, well, maybe if that's an entry point, then that's fine. But if it, it's got to have something, you got to stay, if you come for the, cancel stay for the whatever like you know it's got to be like appetizers into something really it should have a point it should have a point or else it's kind of like well that's bullshit you know like i don't think that's right like you can't just do that and then for nothing like that's 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 dumb like i just for shock value yeah that's not cool that's like i think comics have to do more um you have to do more than that to yeah to warrant um that kind of shit yeah like i respect somebody who does give me something more to chew on like if you give me like something like shitty but then i back it up with something kind of good i'm like oh all right okay i didn't i wasn't with it at first but now but i'm like i'm like oh you've given me something Hmm. to take home i'm like hmm okay yeah okay okay i see where you went with that all right all right i am impressed i'm gonna take that 
Yeah. That's not, I, see, I, that is like, that is to me totally different when you're watching somebody and they say something and you're just like, oh, where's he going with this? And then right into it is like a point that actually, like, it really is something to chew on. It's like you say, it's a really something that you go, wow, this person just made a brilliant point. Mm-hmm. It may have yeah. not started off the way I would have started it, but that's a brilliant yeah. point. Yeah. Then I would, I would, I, I appreciate that. And then there, yeah. you know, but then if it's just kind of a cheap shot, then I, I, I mean, it's like, I, I think I do enjoy like comics that challenge me. Like I always appreciated that about George Carlin. Oh, he would he's always do one that. of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. He would always do that. And, and I think that there is a space in comedy where people can do that. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming of that, you know, and I want that. I think that's what comics the greatest strength of comics is, is that they can change your mind on things. Yeah. And I, I want that. I want, I want that. I want a comic to do that. I want to leave going, feeling different than when I walked in. I want to leave with that feeling of like, I'm yeah. really going to sit and soak in what I just, what I just learned essentially. Cause I've just learned something. Yeah. Who do you, who do you learn from? Who do you really like right now? Or, just in general. This is going to be the greatest story I will ever tell um, <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> I, in terms of who I like now, um, I'm a fan of so many New York comics. Like I just, the guys that I get to perform with, I feel so incredibly lucky to perform with them. You know, um, Ted Alexandro, whom I absolutely adore. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Mike Berbiglia, who comes through to New York oh, every now yeah. and then. I love him. Berbiglia. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I get to Yamanika Saunders, who I absolutely oh, yeah, love yeah, too. Yeah. She's great. Um, in when I started with comedy, I was obsessed with Brett Butler. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was obsessed with Brett. I was obsessed with you, which I have a funny Aww. story about that. Okay. Um, growing up, I would watch All American Girl. I was obsessive oh. about watching All American Girl, and my <laughs> uncle uh, would always tell me that you reminded him of me. Okay. Oh, and I was like, get out of town. And he would say, yeah. And we would watch the show together. And he would always tell me, because I loved comedy so much, he'd be like, you're going to be on TV one day, just like her. You're going to be on TV one day. Aww. And I would just sit there in front of the TV and like watch you and just be like, it's so amazing. And I'm the one that I want is one of my favorite specials. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. You tell such amazing stories in there. And it was so nice. Like growing up, little Latin girl in the South Bronx, I didn't have a lot of women in sitcoms that I felt like looked like me or were different Mm -hmm. like me. And so I gravitated towards shows with strong female characters who were sassy Mm. and like, and were like that. And it was all American girl. It was um, Felicia Rashad from the Cosby show. Like I I loved those strong female characters. It was, uh, you know, Brett on grace under fire. Mm -hmm. And so I would watch all of those shows. And so that was the beginning of my, obsession and love with comedy i watched everybody's comedy special that i could mm-hmm. i went i mean i watched george burns i watched oh, yeah. tomlin i watched yeah. so many amazing specials became a huge george carlin fan eddie izzard everybody like mm-hmm. just loved such a wide range of comics for different reasons they're all different styles too yeah and that's what yeah. i love is mm-hmm. that people could be different and funny in their own voice in their own way and it's one of the things I fell in love with with comedy was like these people, these brilliant human beings take the world, look at it, and then just shoot it back at us 
and it's from a different perspective every time I hear it. Yeah. And it was the most amazing thing. And it's still what I love about comedy. I'll still sit and watch so many specials and obsessively. Yes. Yes. And right now, guys like Tom Segura, I love. Oh, uh, yes. His wife as well, Christina. She's so funny. And so I just love comedy. So I, like, <laughs> I could give you 1,200 comics I probably love. Yeah. You know? That's fantastic. You have <laughs> the good list taste. of people I hate is shorter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you. I hope I have fantastic taste. I definitely have eclectic comedy taste. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's good because there's so many different ways to be a comedian. And I think that there's like such variety. Um, I get obsessed with Brett Butler too. I think she's really amazing. She's yeah. somebody that often gets lost in um, the history of women. Yes, and that's so true. She's just incredible. I mean, just I used to open for her, you know, and I, I would travel with her um, a lot. And uh, she uh, she's such an interesting lady. She's just very, she's very unique. She's I haven't seen her for a while. Yeah. You know, but she's very different. She's a, her own lady. <laughs> yeah. very- That's pretty much what I've heard. I've never I've never met her. I've never there were a lot of people that I looked up to that I never got to meet. And I was fine with that because I always figured like. The fact that I'm a fangirl of so many mm-hmm. comics, I'm like, I almost don't want to meet. I feel like it would be so embarrassing in person to try and act cool if I were to meet somebody that I idolize. You know, <laughs> it's I, hard. I, I would lose it. I would lose it. It's I lost so hard. it. I lost it when I met Eddie Izzard, like literally forgot oh, my yeah. name. He's like rock star. Like he's like very rock star, like because he's kind of like David. He's got the sort of David Bowie kind of like energy. I don't know. Yeah. He's very cool. Like, I, I adore him, too. I think he's really incredible. So incredible, man. And I met him at Montreal and made a complete jackass out of myself. And I was like, please, <laughs> please forget my existence. Forget no, my sure. existence. Like, if we I'm were sure in the same excited. room, if me and you were at the same club, I would be hiding in a corner going, oh, my God, that's Margaret Cho. I'm not going to talk to her, but I'm just going to obsessively sit back here and... Just hope that she jumps on stage so I can see her perform. And no, I no, would be too nervous. I'd no, be way too nervous. No, <laughs> it's a me. No, we're friends. We're friends, and it's going to be fun. And um, it's uh, but oh, when I met Brett Butler, I was uh so excited, and I remember because I remember her joke because she she had that thick southern accent, and yep, she had that opening joke about when she was in New York and like uh, how this guy's like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I will never go down there. People sound so stupid, stupid. when they talk. <laughs> I loved, love that so bit. Funny. It's oh, so funny. It's so ridiculous. I love that That's irony. My, That's the perfect irony. Yes. <laughs> perfect. My favorite bit that you've ever done, uh, or at least my favorite bit, not that you've ever done, because there's a lot of great ones, but the one from... Um, I'm the one that I want that always stood out. And I would always use it as an example of a great comedy was you talking about being at a press conference for all American girl, that whole bit about how somebody said to you, is it true that you had to lose weight to play yourself on your own sitcom? (laughs) And your response was, I was so hungry and I just, I died. I could not stop laughing. The most real honest Mm. response and it just stuck with me it stuck with me man it was just one of those things that I mean that to me is such 
it's so telling of what a great comedy bit is. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. so real that it just, it was something in the back of my mind whenever somebody told me some something messed up about my body, that bit would be in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh man, that's, I don't care what you think anymore. Cause yeah. I, cause, and all it took was you saying it for me to have that in my head Ooh. as like, as a female in this game, just like, all right, I don't really care what you think. Yeah. No, it's good. It's really good. It's like, I think that's where we get power is from each other and from each other's stories. It's like our histories can really inform each other's like these, these mistakes like that we make can help like other people so they don't have to go through what we went through. It's like really important to like lay that down, like for others to go through so that they don't have to go through the same things. And so it's good. It's good. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. Really it, it really does. It's so impactful. It's like the first time I saw Brett and I was like, you know, I'm 14 years old and I'm watching her on TV and I'm going, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. I was like, that's yeah. what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Here's this woman who is beautiful and smart and she's controlling an entire room, a theater full of people with nothing but her intelligence, her wit, and it, it just blew my mind. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I don't know how. I don't know when, but I'm, I'm doing that. And that was it. Yeah. What a crazy. I do. It's not. I know you do. It's awesome. And then what was like the first, um, what was the first time that you did shows? Like what was the first experience of like going on stage and. Oh man. I was like 17, uh, 17, probably about to turn 18. Uh, or maybe super early into 18. I think I was about to turn 18. It was the day of my high school graduation. And I was at Stand Up New York. My mom had entered me and my sister in a contest called The Funniest Person from the Bronx. Because uh, she knew I was obsessed with comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I, was my, I wasn't nervous. I was so excited. I was so excited. Aww. I was not scared. I was not anything. I was just so anxious to just get up on that stage and, and do it. And yeah. so I went up and I did my five minutes and... You know, it might have been three to three to five and I did really well. And so me and my sister got, you know, um, brought back for the callbacks. We won like third place or something because we're twins. So they bought us both back in. I don't know if they didn't want to separate us, but uh, we came back for the callbacks and that was my first bomb. (laughs) That was my first Mm -hmm. when we did the callbacks. I got on stage, bombed horrifically. Like you could hear a pin drop. There was no laughter whatsoever. And I'm this kid. I'm like. 17, maybe 18 by the time the callbacks came around. And like, I was mortified. And I thought I'm never, ever getting on that stage again. I can't do this. This is terrible. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm terrible. I suck. And the very next night I was, you know, just trying to hang out at comedy clubs and just like, you know, I was sitting in the back of a comedy club the very next night because I just, I knew I couldn't stop, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of how terrible that set went. I was like, no, I, I know I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And if I suck now, that's fine. I'm expected matter, to yeah. suck now. Yeah, matter, yeah. I'm expected to suck. This is, this is moment two. This is my second time on stage. Like I've just yeah. started. And so I gave myself a little bit of leeway after that. But that first time, man, when I think back on it, it just brings me right back to how excited I was 
to finally be doing it. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. That's really yeah. good. And then you kept on going and then you, you just kept doing stuff in New York and around like the city. Oh, and- yeah. Throughout college, I had like, um, man, it was crazy because I had a full time college schedule. I had a waitressing job or two. And then I did comedy every night of the week. And I would wow. do as many shows as I could. I would do two to three shows a night. And that was uh-huh. like bar shows and like catering halls, any place I could do comedy. So mm-hmm. I was doing... 14 shows a week. That's incredible. And they weren't great venues, but I didn't care. I was like, as long as I'm getting on stage, even if I suck, even if I bomb, at least I'm getting better. I know I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. And that time in college, it was when I, you know, when I started was so important to my story because it was, I just ignored all the exhaustion, everything. It's like such a story of when you have a dream and that dream becomes all encompassing. Right. And that's what it was at that time. It was all encompassing. I would go from school to work to comedy club, back to school, back to work to comedy club, back to school, back to work, back to the comedy club. Mm-hmm. And it was very little sleep. And thank God my parents were so supportive. My parents were like, as long as you're going to college, that's fine. Like yeah. you can do whatever you want as long as you go to college. So we made that deal and, and they were, they supported me. They came to shows and mm-hmm. to this day, they still, they're, they're my biggest supporters. Yeah. That's fantastic. And yeah. then you just kept doing shows and then you were like on the road and going on the road and doing shows. Did you go to, did you do the NACA route? Did you go like and do like oh, yeah. co- college shows everywhere? I did NACA. I've done mm-hmm. colleges. Colleges got a lot less fun to do, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons, but um, mainly because the rules got so heavy in colleges that yeah. it was just like, oh, you guys used to be the naysayers. You guys were the ones, you know, when you look back at Carlin's days, it was like, that's where he shined. Yeah, you like, could do whatever. Yeah, you yeah. could do anything. They yeah, were thirsty for it. They wanted, they were the rebels. And now right. they're a little more straight laced and uptight. And it just, it got really unfun. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, this will be, you know, it, I'll be glad to go back to any live shows, no matter where it is. It doesn't yes. matter what, where, where on campus or where on it. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I want to do a live show so bad. Zoom shows Me are weird. Too. I like, I like a Zoom show, but I don't, I'm not used to it yet. Yeah. I've done a few and it's awkward, but it's it's our only outlet right now. So it's yeah. like, okay, this is the only thing I have. It's weird, it's fine. but I'll it's do weird. it. It's weird. I'll do it. Yeah. It's fine. It's kind of okay if there's like, if I can hear people laughing. So sometimes yes. they'll like leave that open and it's kind of fun. Yeah. So I enjoy that. But it's also, um, it's also weird too, because it's like a little bit like, is a little delay. And so I don't know. Not, yeah. not the Even best. Even that's kind of weird. Cause it's a, it the sound is a little bit warped, so it's like mm-hmm. even the laughter isn't coming through right. So it's like I'm glad there's laughter, but this is gonna be the thing of nightmares. Gonna, like, I know it'll feel so much better when we get back to when we get back to when we get back to real life. When can um where can I see you and where can we find out about well where you'll be performing and stuff? Like where can people oh, find yeah. you? Um uh the easiest place the one I'm on most is Instagram is at Gbrion on Instagram. Um, there's, uh, you could check out my new special on Amazon, the floor is lava, which is out now. It's my labor of love. It's my latest baby. It's like when you release a special, you're just like, here you go. Check out my labor of love. Yay. Uh, 
But yeah, find me on Instagram. Everything else is Gina Brion. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, everything. But Instagram is at G Brion. And that's the one I'm on the most. So come find me. Well, when you come out, we're going to hang out. When you come out to LA, we're going to hang out. My God, I would would love that. I would love that. We're going to hang out. And we'll do a show at the Comedy Store. And we'll have like girls night there because they don't have girls there very often. We have to have girls night. We totally should have girls night there. I would I would be honored. That would be great. That would be really fun. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Tracy Levy and original music by Garrison Starr. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I don't know where to start. Coming out of the dark. Powered by ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.